If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And, and uh, my grandmother on my father's side, uh, back when I was just a young boy, uh, died in a mental hospital. Uh, my aunt, my father's sister, uh, died uh, two months uh, after getting released from a mental hospital. And they have to understand, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, um, mental hospitals were not as compassionate as they are now. Uh, the treatment for those who are struggling emotionally or with mental disability, uh, uh, dis- uh, disabilities could be very uh, crude back 50 years ago. In fact, in a lot of cases, they either did a shock treatment on you or just put you away. Yeah and tried to numb you of the pain. So I can remember when I was a little fella going to the, they called it uh, Central State Hospital. It was the hospital in Nashville, Tennessee for the mentally disturbed. And they would lock them up and uh, uh, you could visit on Saturdays. And my uh, grandparents on the other side took me up there to see my grandmother in the mental hospital. I never will forget saying bye to her and the bars closing and, and uh, the guards coming and pushing us away and saying it's time, visiting hours are over. And, and I remember just as a little taught how sad that was, how grievous it was to me. And, then, and she died there. And then my aunt on my father's side, uh, uh, my father's sister, she died. She spent time in the mental hospital, same one. And then she died a couple of months after after she got out. My father struggled uh, with uh, problems with his mind and, and nerves and things of that nature. And uh, I made up my mind early I was going to, that wasn't going to get me. But it came knocking in 1987. I was pastoring a little church, Amanda and I, in all good Tennessee. And out of the clear blue, a spirit of darkness and depression, heaviness, uh, torment came upon me. I'll talk to you more about that tonight uh, as we pray for people who are struggling emotionally and mentally. Because see, uh, mental torment is no respecter of persons. In fact, we're spending more of our time nowadays, Amanda and I, ministering to young people than we are adults because young people are being inundated with information and things and satanic onslaught against their precious minds that is causing them to try to be able to handle information and emotions and feelings and ideas and ideologies that their little minds or their immature minds are unable to process. And young people are stressed. Tennessee leads the nation in the amount of people on anxiety medication. State of Tennessee, per capita, leads the nation as far as percentage of people on anxiety medication. You hear this all the time. I'm I'm having an anxiety attack. I'm having a panic attack. Stress. Everybody, it's just part of life now. And I want you to understand that it doesn't have to be a part of your life. It's a part of this world system. It's a part of our culture. 
It's a part of what, what is part of the medical practices today. They will tell you, doctors will tell you, stress increases uh, physical abnormalities and problems and difficulties. Stress is a, is, a, is a great deterrent from learning and education. Stress is a great deterrent in, in walking in health and enjoying the health we need. Stress is causing our economy, uh, people's money to run out because of stress and having to spend money for anxiety medications and think treatments and counselors and things of that nature. It's a part of culture. It's just part of where we live nowadays. But for the child of God, it doesn't have to be a part of you. And I live, we deal with people every single day who think this is, I just got to live this way. I just have to live nervous. I just have to live in anxiety. I'm just going to have to take this medication for my nerves. I'm just going to have to live fearful. I'm just going to have to live confused. I'm just going to have... I just... Mama had it. Grandmama had it. It runs in my family. And this is just my... This is just what i got to do. And my friends have got it. And my sister's got it. And they're living okay. I want you to understand that's the way we've we've come to. But you don't have to live that way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. Uh, in the King James Version. Let's go to the King James. That's the one I like. When I was a little boy, that's the one I memorized. So in the King James it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh... So, uh, reach over and pinch the person next to you. Just real... That's flesh. Okay? How many, how many of you got pinched? How many got pinched and didn't feel it? Did anybody get pinched? I just want to make sure everybody that's here is actually here. That we don't see a figment of our imagination of you. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strong. Everybody say strongholds. strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought. Everybody say thought. thought. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you realize Satan operates in the arena of thought? Satan operates in the arena of thought. Do you remember over there in, I think it's Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira? They fell prey to this deception of uh, stealing money from the church. The In fact, let's find that verse. Let me see if I can find that verse. And Acts chapter 5. Let's look at Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read it from the King James. Now I'll use other verses later, but let's look at Acts chapter 5. Let's begin with verse 1. Acts chapter 5, verse number 1. Notice what it says here. It says that, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart? Why has Satan filled thy heart? Why has Satan filled thy heart? Satan got something into Ananias' heart. Why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost 
and to keep back part of the price of the land. Verse 4, while it remained, it was not thy own. After, uh, was it not thy own? And after it was so, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? He's conceived it in his heart that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Listen, uh, lit- literally the apostle said, now why would you do this? He said, you sowed this, you sowed this. It was, it was your land. You can do with it whatever you wanted to. God didn't ask you to give that money. God didn't demand you give that money. God didn't say, I want all of it. God didn't say, I want half of it. God didn't say, I want 10% of it. God didn't say anything for you to give. That was your land, your money. You sold it legally. You could have given 10%, 50%, all of it, or none of it. And it wouldn't have been displeasing to God. But you decided to tell people, give the impression that you gave when you didn't give. And now you've not lied to men, you've lied to God. Okay. Now why in the world, he says, would you do something like that? And then he picks it up in verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. I tell you, if we'd have some of those situations happening on Sunday morning, offerings would get big quick. All right? And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Verse 6, And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yeah, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry you out also. Now, let me ask you, it says that Satan filled thy heart. Why has Satan, How do you think Satan got that, got that in their heart? How do you think Satan put that deception, that lie, that scheme into their heart. How do you think that happened? Do you think he physically opened up their chest and poured deception in their heart? How did he deceive Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Spirit of God and to the church and to the apostles and eventually cost them their life? How did he get that deception in them? We know he didn't open their chest up and pour in a bottle of deception. How did he do How does he deceive us? Through our thoughts. He suggested a thought. And Ananias and Sapphira grabbed it. They took it. Satan operates in the arena of thought. That's where he operates. He operates in the only, he operates in your life through thought. Do you know he, he's never come, he never comes to, do, have, have you ever met someone who, uh, who are uh, lovely people and then all of a sudden one of the partners in the marriage, uh, suddenly became unfaithful, betrayed their relationship, destroyed their marriage, maybe hurt their reputation. Have, have, does anybody know anybody like that? Well, how, how do you think Satan did that? You, you know, he didn't show up and ring the doorbell at their house with a red suit, red devil suit, and a pitchfork and say, you know what, I got a temptation for you. And this temptation is going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your finances. It's going to destroy your reputation. It's going to hurt your children and your grandchildren forever. It's going, it's going to be a pain for you for the rest of your life. You want it? 
And if that happened to any of us, we would all deny it in a heartbeat, would we not? But He doesn't come that way with a red devil suit and a pitchfork. How does He tempt all of us? How does He deceive all of us? It begins with a thought. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Romans. Romans chapter... uh, Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Here's here's the first point I want to make to you is this. Our direction in life is determined by our thought life. My direction, the way I'm going, your direction, the way you're going, is determined by our thought life. It's not determined by our education. It's not determined by our career path. It's not determined by our parents. Our direction in life is determined by our thought life. You will go the direction that your thoughts are leading you. Let, let, let me give you scripture to prove that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse number 5. I want to read it from the NIV, this translation. Romans chapter 8, verse number 5 from the NIV. Listen to what it says. Those who live according to their flesh, if you live according to your flesh, and your pastor has taught you, your flesh being your, your physical senses. If you live according to your physical senses, what your flesh wants to do, uh, what, you, what you hear all the time, what you see, if you live according to that, you have your minds, everybody say minds, set on the, what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Notice, The direction we're going in life is totally dependent on our thought life. The Bible says if our mind, if our thinking is dictated by our fleshly desires, that's the way we're headed. But if our mind and our thinking is dictated by what the Spirit of God desires, which is the Word of God, then that's the way we're headed. Our direction in life is totally dependent. I had a, I had a couple, um, come to me several years ago, beautiful couple, just absolutely beautiful couple. I had two little children, uh, beautiful children. He was in manufacturing. Uh, she was um, in real estate, and just they were just excellent people and part of our church family. And they made an appointment to see me, so I thought maybe they were coming in. They didn't say why they were coming in. I thought they were coming in maybe just to talk about uh, a change in their life or maybe uh, something uh, going on with the children or maybe a new business he wanted to launch. I had no idea. I never thought it would be anything wrong because every time I saw them at church, they were happy and everything was great and they were involved. And when I met them in the hallway and escorted them back to my office, I noticed they were somber. They wasn't as uh, jovial as they normally are. And uh, we sat down and kind of just did casual, how you doing, how you doing, that kind of thing. You know how you do it. And then all of a sudden, I just said, well, what, what are y'all here for today? And when I said that, she just busted out crying, put her head in her hands and started weeping like a baby. And I looked at him, and he just kind of shook his head. I said, "Hun, what's wrong? And she said, I can't believe I did it, Pastor. I can't believe I did it. I said, what'd you do? And the next phrase that came out of my her mouth shocked me. She said, I've been unfaithful to my husband. 
I said, what do you mean? What? You've been unfaithful? Yeah. And I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I did it. So we, we talked through some issues and, and, and she, toward the end of our conversation and she said, why do you think I did it? Pastor, why do you think? You know, I'm a, I was raised in church. I love Jesus. I'm involved in the children's ministry. Why do you think I did that? And I said, well, I'll tell you exactly why you did it. I said, you know, uh, you and your husband have been busy in life. You've been busy raising these children. You're both working full time. Y'all are involved in every kind of sports for your children. I know you've been missing a little bit of church here recently because of the, all the activities that are going on. And I guarantee you, your devotional time has not been up to speed as well. And said, chances are your your relationship with one another has not been as intimate and and, uh, and healthy as it needs to be. And they both shook their head. Yeah, that's that's true. And I said, chances are, hon, at the break table, somebody said to you, somebody said to you, uh, you sure do look good today. Her mouth flew open. She said, somebody already told you. I said, no, nobody's told me anything. And I began to relay of how the devil works. He just put in her mind, somebody, some guy complimented her. And then from that compliment, I said, and here's what happened. You thought that was nice, but you know it wasn't right to think some thoughts like that. So you just kicked it away. You kicked it back. I said, but maybe a week or two later or two or three weeks later, all of a sudden at the break room, he wants to enter a conversation with you. And then you start entertaining that. And then before long, it moves from a thought to an imagination. And then before long, you start seeing yourself with him in your mind. You haven't done nothing yet. We call it today fantasy. You start fantasizing about being with that person. And all of a sudden, the temptation now is moving from just a suggestion now to a reality in your mind. And then it goes from not then from a thought to an imagination to a stronghold. And a stronghold is anything that comes into our life that prohibits us from receiving or receiving or doing God's best for our life. And suddenly you were consumed now with being with this man and it began to direct your steps in life. And she said, Pastor, that's exactly right. How did you know? I said, because I know how the devil works. I know how the devil works. Remember this. We are moving in the direction of our thought life. We are moving in the direction. Those who are led by the flesh have their minds focused on the flesh. Those who are led by the Spirit have their minds focused on by the Spirit or by the Word of God. Now, notice what it says here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Everybody over there? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, though we live our life as fleshly human beings, we do not war after the flesh. We're not fighting a physical battle. We're not fighting a carnal battle. We're not fighting a natural battle. You've heard your pastor teach on that. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of what? 
strongholds, casting down what? And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. In 1986, I was driving down the highway of our little town and out of the clear blue, out of the clear blue, suddenly a thought popped in my mind. Craziest thought I'd ever heard in my life. And the thought was simply this. You must be demon-possessed. Now, I'm a pastor of a church. And this thought popped into my mind. You must be demon-possessed. I'm driving down the road. I'm, 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 I'm not doing anything sinful. I'm not, I'm not involved in anything that's ungodly. In fact, it was a good week, a good season. Our little church had just had an infusion of people. Uh, and, and I'm just driving down the road. I don't remember where I was going, but I was driving down the road and this thought, crazy thought popped into my mind. You must be demon-possessed. And it stung. I thought, where in the world did that come from? That's the crazy... Where in the, where in the world did that come from? And I kicked it out. Just, nah, that's stupid. About a week later, some people came up to me in the city. Our church was about 40 or 50 people. And people came up to me in the city that I'd met and they were talking about what their church was doing and how they were having outreach and how many people they had. And I knew we were struggling, just trying to get enough to pay the bills. And, and, and I felt resentment rise up in me to hear them brag about their church. And, and, and I immediately, when I walked away from the congregation, a congregate from my meeting with them, I repented, Lord, forgive me for those, forgive me for having that resentment. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. I shouldn't think that way. I ought to rejoice that people are being blessed and churches are growing. Even though mine, even though mine's not growing and nobody cares and nobody likes me, I need to rejoice that, that other, that other church, you know, you know, you ever been there? You know, people are bragging on what they got and what they got. God's blessed them and it's the very same thing you're wanting and all of a sudden you got to sit there and rejoice. Well, hallelujah, glory to God. Well, <laughs> praise the Lord, you stupid idiot. Glory to God, hallelujah. And these feelings started and I, and I, and I immediately said, God, forgive me, forgive me. I said to myself, God, forgive me, forgive me. And when I did, all of a sudden that thought, you must be demon possessed. Demon-possessed people are not happy when God here, when God's people enjoy good things. Demon-possessed people don't like churches growing, so you must be demon-possessed. It, it's it hung on with me a little longer. I said, "Well, where'd that come from?" And I went home and told my wife. I said, "Man, this crazy thought pops into my mind that I'm demon-possessed." She said, "What?" She first said, "Are you?" No, she didn't say that. She, she said, what? I said, that's demon-possessed. She said, well, why would you think something like that? I said, I don't know. And, you know, over the years, as I tell, I've told this story everywhere I go, over the years people will come up to me and say, why did you think that? Why in the world would you think, well, why do you think some of the stupid things you think? Why do you believe some of the lies that you believe about yourself? Why in the world would people that hear about a virus that's happening in China and on the other side of the world now run and, and get in fights at Walmart and the grocery store over toilet paper? 
What are they believing? Where are these thoughts coming from? Why in the world would you believe that you're not going to succeed in life? Why in the world would a beautiful young lady believe she's not beautiful? Why in the world would a young man who is very educated and has great uh, abilities, why would he think he'd never be a success? Why in the world would... Why do you think the things you think? Why do you think the things you think? And that thing, over the next two or three months got so ingrained in my mind that it became a stronghold to the point I didn't leave my house for a year. Hardly left my house for a year. I was had paranoia. I didn't sleep over three hours a night. Uh, I felt like a vice grip around my head constantly, just clamped down on my head. Things literally, my eyesight got dim. I had every light in the house, and I'd tell Amanda, Amanda, turn the lights on. She said, honey, every light is on in the house. Literally, things got dim for me. I couldn't see. Literally, physically, things got dim. I couldn't remember. Our son, during our first, that was our year, uh, our first uh, year of our son's life, and she'd say, she'll tell me things today. Do you remember this happened and we did this? And I said, no, I don't remember that. Satan, through that one thought, so captivated my thinking that he imprisoned me with a stronghold because I didn't know what I want to teach you today is that, number one, you and I must understand we must be guardians of our thought life. You and I must be guardians of our thought life. It does matter what you watch. And it does matter what you hear. It does matter what you entertain in your thought life. It does matter the people's conversations that you're around. It does matter what you watch on television and the type of music you listen to. We must be guardians of our thought life. And for years, though, I was raised in church and my granddaddy was a pastor and I was taught where to go and where not to go. I was taught how long my hair was supposed to be and how short it was supposed to be. I was taught what I was supposed to wear and what I wasn't supposed to wear being raised in a Pentecostal church. I was taught all of that stuff on the outward. People taught me where to go, where not to go, what to wear, what not to wear, how my hair was supposed to be, how it shouldn't be, what women's uh, jewelry sh- should wear as jewelry, what they shouldn't wear is jewelry. We were taught all that stuff, but nobody ever taught us what to think and what not to think. And as a man thinketh, so is he. It's not what you wear. Your, your clothing, your tattoos, your hairstyle, your length doesn't determine your identity. Your thought life determines your identity. As a man thinketh, so is he. So you and I must continually be the guardians of our thought life. Here's the second thing I didn't understand. I didn't understand that I could control my thoughts. I didn't know that. Number one, I didn't understand I was supposed to guard it. I thought, well, just whatever. In fact, I'd hear people say this, well, it doesn't matter what you think about as long as you don't act on it. You ever heard that? It doesn't matter what if you think, but just don't act on it. Well, listen, if you think about it long enough, you will act on it. 
because our thoughts determine our direction in life. So the second thing I had to understand was this. I didn't know that I could control my thoughts. I thought whatever popped into my mind, I had to think it. I thought if a lustful thought popped into my mind that I, that was me and I had to think it. I thought if a jealous thought popped into my mind or if a fearful thought came to my mind, then that, I, that's me thinking it. I had to think it. I didn't know that I can control my thought life. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That lets us know that you can control your thoughts. Just because thoughts come and thoughts may persist doesn't mean, number three, that you have to take ownership of those thoughts. Just because thoughts come and thoughts may persist doesn't mean you have to take ownership of those thoughts. Uh, Brother Hagin made this statement years ago, I never will forget. He said that some of the greatest men of God have found their minds thinking something at odds that their spirit didn't think. Have you ever had thoughts pop into your mind about somebody or somebody might have hurt you or did you wrong or abused you or talked about you? And those thoughts, and you say, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't, uh, I, I forgive them, Lord. I forgive them, Lord. I forgive them. And then the next time you see them, those same thoughts pop in your mind. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you, well, I thought I forgive them. Why am I having those? Mind? Just because thoughts come doesn't mean you have to take ownership of those thoughts. I thought that every thought that came into my mind, that was me. Well, if I had a bad thought, I must be demon-possessed. If I had a lustful thought, I must be bound by lust. If I had a revengeful thought, I must be bound by bitterness and the spirit of unforgiveness. I didn't know that thoughts come from four areas in our life. Number one, thoughts come from our environment. Did you know your brain is one of the most miraculous mechanisms that mankind and doctors and scientists in their greatest, smartest research have not been able to figure it out completely? And that's the human brain. They've never been able to figure it out. Your brain is amazing. Did you know that every sound, every smell, every word, every scene of our life is stored in a data bank called our brain? For example, have you ever been somewhere and you smelled something and that smell took you back to something when you was a childhood that you... See, what was happening was your brain was... It's stored in there. That smell is stored in there. And when it surfaced again, all of a sudden your mind went back. You could replay the scene where you were. Every time I, every time I smell bacon, I remember the slaughterhouse that was next to our elementary school. And when they'd slaughter those pigs, and I'd say, Daddy, I hear them screaming. He said, that's bacon. That's bacon. Every time I smell bacon, I think of that slaughterhouse at Riverside Drive. See, our minds are miraculous. Did you know the average person, according to uh, science, the average person thinks fifty to 60,000 thoughts a day? 
Now, I know most of you who have teenagers think that's probably not true. They think about four. But, but that's not true. Can I go, can I go, can I go, can I go, can I go? The average person thinks, honestly, the average person, according to science, the average person thinks fifty to 60,000 thoughts a day. We think, now you think about how many seconds are in a day. That comes to you and I think a thought, almost a thought, a second. Okay? Now here's what's amazing. They tell us that 90% of the thoughts that we think are repetitive. So if we think 60,000 thoughts a day, and 90% of those thoughts are repetitive, then 54,000 of the thoughts that we think of the 60 are the same thing. So if that be the case, and you've bought into a thought, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to get through this. You're not going to overcome this. You're going to fail. You're going to lose everything. If you think that 54,000 times a day and our direction in life is determined by our thought life, what do you think is going to happen to us? We're going to have an image of ourselves, a stronghold, that we're a failure and we're never going to make it. And if you have a thought of a lust towards someone who's not your partner and, and you think of that and it gets in your mind and you don't take control of it and it's just all day long you think about it. It's all day long you think about it. You think about it 54,000 times a day. Guess what you're going to end up doing? You're going to end up moving on that thought. See, that's why it's so important that the Bible says we take every thought captive. Because our thought life determines our direction in life. But I didn't know these things. And for a year I lived depressed and would not get out of my house. I didn't know that I had to be a guardian of my thought life. I didn't know that I could control my thoughts. I didn't know that I didn't have to take ownership of every thought that popped into my life. And I didn't know that a stronghold A stronghold, the word stronghold is the word fortress. It's literally the word prison. A stronghold is developed in people's life by one single thought. Adultery begins with a thought. Murder begins with a thought. Theft begins with a thought. You say, where do you find that in Scripture? All right. I'll show you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Let's look at verse number 17. Let's try it here in the New King James Version. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 17. Jesus is talking here. Matthew chapter 15, verses 17. Let's go 17 through 20, the New King James. Matthew 15, 17 through 20. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? How many don't understand that? 
Anybody not understand that? Does everybody understand that? There's nothing spiritual about that. There's no spiritual application. You eat it, you digest it, you eliminate it, all right? Okay? So there's nothing spiritual. This is not a trick question. Does everybody understand that? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is limited? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwatched hands does not defile a man. Notice what he says in verse 19. Again, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Did you notice what he said? Most of us have read that a thousand times and missed it. We just run right over it. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. We'll say, what does that say? We'll say, while the heart proceed murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Do you notice the first thing he says comes out of the heart? Evil thoughts. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murder. Murder begins with a thought. Adultery begins with a thought. Fornication begins with a thought. And see, I didn't know this. I didn't know that one single thought, stupid, crazy, ridiculous, demonically inspired thought, you are demon possessed, could put me in a stronghold that made me a prisoner in my house for a solid year. I couldn't sleep at night. I would see, I would dream of me being behind those bars at the mental hospital. I was scared to touch people. Satan had convinced me as a pastor, if you'd lay hands on people, the demon on you is going to get on them. I, I went to my spiritual overseers and I said, I'm struggling with that. I said, you just need to take a week off. And you know, I took a week off, but my mind... My body got rest, but my mind never shut off. See, because when mental torment grabs a hold of your mind, you can go on a vacation, you can get away, but until you can turn this thing off, you're not going to have rest. And I lived that way for a solid year. Amanda took me to three physicians. They said, you're having a... They used to call it a nervous breakdown. I'm 29 years old. And I'm having, they say, a nervous breakdown because my mind wouldn't turn off. Harassing, tormenting, demonic thoughts. Pow, 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 pow. Like a machine gun firing in. You're demon-possessed. God doesn't love you. You're demon-possessed. God doesn't love you. You're going to go to hell. Your family's going to be embarrassed. You might as well shoot yourself. Go ahead and end your life. Go ahead and end your life. Over and 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 over again. All day long and all night. I hated the nights. During the day, I could call Amanda and talk to her at work. During the day, I could turn the TV on and maybe find Christian programming. But back then, I don't know if you remember... Back then, back in the 80s, some of you don't remember this. You weren't even born. But they, TV used to go off at midnight. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? TV? So from midnight to about 6 a.m., it was me and my thoughts. And they harassed me and tormented me continually. I would sweat constantly. Nervousness. I would shake. Shake. 
And I lived that way for a year. Finally, uh, it was a Saturday morning. It was at the beginning of a work week, and Amanda said, Eddie, uh, we would like for you to, Tyler and I, he was one about that time, he said, we would like for you to go with us to eat breakfast and go to the grocery store this coming Saturday. I said, I, I just, the thought of that scared me. And she said, well, just pray, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to believe that this Saturday you're going to be able to get out and go. I said, okay. So all week long, I do everything I can, trying to keep myself pumped up, trying to keep myself pumped up. And uh, Saturday morning come. And uh, we get loaded the little one up, and we head to my favorite Tennessee restaurant, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> it started 10 miles from our house, Cracker Barrel. So we go to Cracker Barrel, and we order... And I'm doing good until about somewhere between the order and when they bring our food, those thoughts started coming. People are looking at you. They know you got a devil. They know you're demon-possessed. That devil's going to manifest. You're fixing to go crazy. And it's going to be an embarrassment to your family and this community. I know that the preacher is crazy. Just pow, pow started rubbing my head. The vice grip got harder. I started sweating. It felt like the noise got louder. They call it, they call it anxiety attacks now. Panic attacks. Back then they didn't have a name for it. And I looked at Amanda and I said, I got to go. I got to get out of here. She says, no, please don't. Please don't leave. We prayed. We've been working on this all week. You can make it. Just, just think about something else. You can make it. And the more and more just it just centered in. It seemed like everybody was looking at me and suddenly this paranoia took over and I jumped up and ran out. Two or three minutes later, uh, her and the little one come to the car. She's crying. I'm crying. I said, get me home. So we go home. We drive home and she says, I've got to get some groceries. I said, okay, I'm going, I'm going in the house. So I walked in our little house, walked in the front door, turned, took a right behind the little living room area we had and went to the den. And I fell flat on my face in the carpet, screaming and crying, Oh, God, I'm going crazy. I can't even go out of my house now. I'm losing my mind. I'm going crazy. I want to kill myself. Oh, God, come and help me. And I wept and I wept just in that carpet, face down, hopeless, broken. And I don't know how long I laid there. But suddenly I'd gotten quiet and... uh, I sensed a presence in the room. And uh, I thought it might have been my neighbor who was one of my board members that lived across the street. Maybe he saw me come in. He came to check on me. And I looked up from laying just flat on my face and I just lifted my head. 
and there probably four or five feet away from me was feet and sandals. And it startled me. And I raised up on my hands and knees and looked. And it was the Lord Jesus. Never will forget what he said. Eddie, what would you have me do for you? And I said, these thoughts, they're killing me. They're killing me. And then he began to tell me what was happening and how I needed to get free. And tonight I'm going to talk to you about what he said to me and how he's taught me now these 30 years how to help people get free of the torment, the mental oppression, the mental depression, the harassment, the stress, the anxiety that is invading our homes and our communities. You can be free in the name of Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you something. I'll just tell you this. You don't have to have a vision to get free. Because it wasn't the vision that set me free. It was what He taught me when I put it to work that set me free. In fact, after the vision was over, the thoughts within a month or so started coming back. And I had to do what He was telling me, what He told me and what He was teaching me to do from then on to stay free. It's been over 30 years now. and We've preached and taught this lesson all over the world. I was in New, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, preaching to a thousand pastors. And you say, well, pastors don't have to deal with it. When it came altar time, they were lined up two and three deep across this big thousand-seat sanctuary to get prayed. I've taught children's places, children's workers, and the children's workers are lined up. Children are lined up. It's infecting our world. You're talking about a pandemic. The pandemic is the uh, mental torment and confusion that's invaded America and our communities. And you can have a sound mind. You can have the mind of Christ. You can have a mind that is full of peace. You can have it in Jesus' name. Stand with me, would you? Now tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about the vision. I'm going to talk about the progress, the process of a stronghold. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corner here. Um, about uh, thoughts, imagination, stronghold. Satan's a counterfeiter. He never does anything new. He can't come up with anything new. Anything, Any system he has, he's just stolen it from God. God's kingdom operates first the blade, then the ear, then the full corner of the ear. Satan's kingdom operates first the thought, then the imagination, then the stronghold. And I'm going to teach you some truths tonight. And then at the end of the service, we're going to lay hands on people at the end of the service tonight of people who are tormented in their mind. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to get some freedom. They're going to get some freedom. It always happens wherever we go. They're going to get some freedom. But then they've got to do the things. They, ha- they have to do the Word to stay free. Okay? They've got to do the Word to stay. Every day of my life, I have to do the Word. 
Every day of my life, I have to do the works. About three weeks ago, we confronted a situation in which at anxiety for a little bit tried to get back on me. I felt it trying to get back on me. A very stressful situation in our family. And it, it tried to get back. I woke up in the middle of the night with this anxiety and I had to do the Word. No, no, this is what the Word says. This is what I believe. This is what I know to be true. And this is. And then within a day, it was gone. But I had to do the Word. Okay? I'll teach you that tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the spirit of peace and rest. I come against the spirit of fear. I come against the spirit of torment. I come against the spirit of harassment. I come against the spirit of condemnation. Now there's somebody that's been being tormented in your mind, condemned over a past failure. And you've probably asked forgiveness of it a hundred times. And you, but for some reason, you can't get free. It just keeps popping in your mind. Satan keeps harassing you with that. I want you to know that's not God sending that. Stop repenting of that. You've already repented of it. Now you take that thought captive. Take it captive. Say, no, I'm not going to think that. Kick it out and replace it with God's Word in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, let the peace of God rest upon these people. And if there's anyone here right now, Father, that cannot come back tonight and are being tormented in their minds, I break that thing. In the name of Jesus, I break that thing. I take authority over you, Satan, right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, for the peace that passes all understanding. And whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are virtue, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We choose to think on what God's told us to think about. We will take control of our thought life. We are the guardians of our thought life. In Jesus' name, amen.